Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. As we found, uh, we found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Thank you. No regrets. Well, that's not going to haunt him. Couldn't stop himself. It had been six days going on seven days. And he hasn't responded to the press. He finally cracks. This is how he responds while he's in California. There's no there there. Somebody pour me a bourbon. This is watching somebody implode is always super weird. Yet here we is. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. That is the number. That's how you get to be a part of the show. You think there's no problem here for Joe Biden? You think he didn't do anything wrong? 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. Of course, we're talking about a series of classified documents found at his offices in D.C. at the UPenn Biden Center. These are offices he held after being vice president, but before running for president. So these documents come from his time as vice president. And of course, a vice president of the United States has no ability to declassify anything. The vice president of the United States can smoke cigars and wait for someone to die. I would be a world-class vice president. I'd also be a stunning president, but that's another subject for another day. Documents were found in his home in Delaware. Not only in the home, but in the garage next to what? His Corvette. Just documents just laying about. Just scattered uh, uh, along the, uh, the, the, the ground there. Classified documents. Some of these documents, whether it be at the UPenn Biden Center or in the home, mark TSSCI, TS for top secret, SCI, specialized compartmentalized information, which would mean that it's information so important that it is read in special areas inside of special areas. It's a box inside a bigger box. Now, there is, true, a conversation about whether or not we have an overclassification issue in the United States. The intelligence department wants too many things to be labeled classified because, well, if it's not classified, it's not important. Or if it's not classified, someone may read it and ask questions about what it is we're doing. Let's keep the prying eyes of the public away from such a things. It's classified, don't you know? That is indeed possible. It is possible that there is much classified information that doesn't have to be classified. But that isn't the subject here. That's a distraction, a deflection point. That is someone screaming out, squirrel, 
and then everybody turning to look at the squirrel. Joe Biden had documents, classified documents, he wasn't allowed to have in non-secure places. They talk about the UPenn Biden Center. Well, he had them in a locked closet. Locked how? Locked how? A key? Deadbolt? Um, well, did it have a code? Was it set up by security professionals or was it purchased from Menards? By the way, there's nothing wrong with a lock purchased from Menards. I'm just saying I don't know if I want classified documents on the other side. By the way, Tyler on Twitter crushing with the question. If a maniac could get to Nancy Pelosi's home attacking Paul Pelosi, as we were told that was the story, they can get close to Biden's Corvette, can't they? Well, one could wonder about that because Biden's Corvette, what being the president of the United States, is an incredibly guarded home and an incredibly guarded Corvette. Although I will admit to you that when Biden was asked this question by Peter Ducey, he didn't do himself any favors in the answer. The answer was, of course, flip and glib and altogether insulting. I mean, ridiculously insulting, unnecessarily insulting, but then again, that's who Joe Biden is. Mr. President, classified material, next to your Corvette, what were you thinking? Let me, uh, I'm going to get a chance to speak on all this, God willing, soon, but as I said earlier this week, People, and by the way, my Corvette's in a locked garage, okay? So it's not like you're sitting out in the street. So the but anyway, yes, as well as my Corvette. Um, but as I said earlier this week, people know I take classified documents and classified material seriously. No, people know you take classified documents home. Someone, someone wrote, the difference in this sentence is, is, is the comma. Everyone knows I take documents seriously. No, no, no. Everyone knows I take documents, comma, seriously. See how that works? I'm telling you, know your English language, people. Study, study, study. He's very flip about this. Very glib about this. He does not seem to recognize the problem that he has created for himself and the danger that he has done. And he has done some serious danger. These documents may very well include conversations about Ukraine and China, which is important to note because it is Hunter Biden who had dealings with Ukraine and China. And we know for fact that Hunter Biden stayed in the House in Delaware. As a matter of fact, as was reported, Hunter Biden did his quarantine, I guess he had COVID, in the house. He was there with the classified documents. Now the question is, who came to visit? Well, as you know, um, we already know that 
Joe Biden has told us that he had no nothing to do with his son's overseas dealings and they never talk about his overseas business. But we also know that Hunter, that Joe Biden absolutely met with Hunter Biden's business associates while he was vice president. It is a lie that was told by Joe Biden, amongst other lies. So here's Hunter Biden with access to classified information, never mind who at the UPenn Biden Center had access. For example, let's go back to that locked closet. Let's say it was a lock that was purchased at Menards. By the way, nothing against Menards. You can get a lock there, and you can also get like a steak sandwich and an ice cream cone and then, and then, a, and then a new oven. I'm assuming you'd want the gas one. All at the same place, Menards. That's where I do my shopping. They'd be a fine sponsor of this program. Somebody get on that. I want Menards as a sponsor by the end of the day. Who had a, let's say it was a lock. Key into the lock, turn, doors open. Who else had a key? Guys, we're not investigators. You and me, we're not investigators. The first question out of our mouths, it was a locked door. Who had a key? Just like the first question for the home of Joe Biden there in Delaware is who came to visit. And of course, we were told there are no visitor logs. And Dana, some news this morning. We are learning there are no visitor logs chronicling who comes and goes from the president's house in Wilmington. An official at the White House counsel's office is telling me that like every president in modern history, a personal residence is personal. They make the distinction that unlike the previous administration, the Trump administration, they are committed at the White House to being transparent about White House visitor logs. But in terms of uh, what Republicans on the Hill are asking for, a record of who may have been in the Wilmington residence and potentially had access to the areas where these documents were found, it does not appear that that exists. Uh, it would have to be done, it sounds like, retroactively. Now, in a normal situation, I don't need to know if uh, the president's friends are coming to visit. Although I think it is a very acceptable argument to say uh, the president is working on our dime 24-7, 365. We want to know who's coming to visit. But even if you want to argue the two points, it all goes out the window when we're talking about classified documents on the grounds. Now we have to know who's there. Oh, there are no logs. Except that the Secret Service then comes out a couple days later and says, oh, yeah, look, if, if, if you, uh, Congress, ask us for the information, we'll tell you, uh, you know, who was who there. So wait, does that mean you have official logs? Or, or do you have unofficial logs? Did you have somebody in the back corner saying, Tommy, Tommy, who is that? Who is that that just went in? Uh, Steve? Was it, was it Steve and Frank? Steve and Frank went in? I couldn't see. Yeah, my, my binoculars broke. I don't know what happened. They were, they were fine one minute. Next thing you know, they're not working. We got we to gotta put in a requisition. I don't know. You put in a requisition. You sign the thing, and you give it to Steve. And Steve gives it to Paulie. Paulie gives it to Frank. Frank gives it to Tom. Next thing you know, something falls off a truck, and you got some new binoculars. It's an amazing system. I don't know how they have the list. I have no idea how they have the list. But it turns out they have the list. Well, we need that information. And not only should Congress get that information, that information should be made public. Which brings us all back to Joe Biden just yesterday, who wants you to know he has no regrets. As we found uh, 
We found a handful of documents were failed, uh, were filed in the wrong place. We immediately turned them over to the archives and the Justice Department. We're fully cooperating, looking forward to getting this resolved quickly. I think you're going to find there's nothing there. I have no regrets. I'm following what the lawyers have told me they want me to do. It's exactly what we're doing. There's no there there. Thank you. You followed what the lawyers told you to do ipso facto. Why didn't you follow the law that said you can't have the classified documents? That is where the focus is. I think it's strange. I think it peculiar. I think it awkward that Joe Biden's going down this road, that he would make such a statement because he's already done this this massive damage to himself, to his uh, future in terms of his running again. And no matter what we want to say about Corinne Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, who's done a terrible job and really is not good at the job, he has made her life impossible. I have no regrets. That's a... There's no there there? My gosh. That's one heck of a statement. That is the kind of statement that can ruin you. Because that statement is predicated on the idea that the press will back you up. To say... I have no regrets, there's no there there, is predicated on the idea that you've got friends who will rally around you. Well, Jim Clyburn, the congressman from South Carolina, could be in your corner from now until the end of time. It ain't enough. Because I mentioned Corinne Jean-Pierre and her handling of this and how you have made it impossible for her and she's bad at her job to boot. And that press corps is angry. Press corps angry. Press corps smash. It's exactly what they're going to do. Right across your head, Joe Biden. It's funny how Biden, on his first day in office, said that he was going to bring transparency and truth back to government. His words, not mine. And in the weeks that we have now dealt with the knowledge of these classified documents, the lack of sharing the information, the dripping out of what has taken place, finding documents when they tell us there are no other documents to find. Is this bringing transparency and truth back to government? Well, it must be for Joe Biden because he just told us that he has no regrets. He should regret talking because the talking is what's going to sink him. Now, you say to me, Tony, it's the political left. They won't sink him. I used to believe that, too. This is a scandal. And just because the talking heads... Uh, late night there on MSNBC or, or CNN or on the weekends, don't want to talk about it? It is what it is. It's a scandal. And it's going to hurt. 
And it's not me who can guarantee it. It's not me who's going to make it happen. It's that press corps that's been lied to and treated like fools. That's where the, the real regret should be. I'm Tony Katz. They couldn't find the SCOTUS leaker. I'll get to that in just a moment. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Google getting rid of 12,000 people. So if we're we're keeping, um, well, attention on this, that is 28,000 from Microsoft and Amazon, 12,000 from Google. Uh, let me do the math. Um, Kylan, double check me here. I took up my shoes. Carry the two. Um, square root, uh, pi 3.14, equations, equations, equations. That's 40,000 jobs. 40,000 jobs. 40,000 layoffs. Um, just the start? Is it just the start? I'm only saying yes because, well, that's what we're told. By the way, as the people of News Nation now put it just this month, there have been at least 48,000 job cuts announced by major companies in the tech sector. Oh, I didn't include Facebook in there. Oh, I didn't include Facebook in there. That's my fault. Oopsie. <laughs> these, are, these are bad moments and only getting worse. And yet we keep hearing about how many job openings are out there. But here you have tech saying, look, we're just trying to reorganize and make the shifts to prepare for, for, for our new reality. The new reality is inflation is here. The new reality here is the economy is bad. The new reality is certainly in the United States, people are unsure about the future and not making investments in the future, whether that be real estate or whether that be technology. So, you know, they're not buying your widget, your thingamabob, your it. which, by the way, uh, they've got a lot of those. Oh, my gosh. Did you see the Twitter had like a, like a, a fire sale? They auctioned off like all of the equipment they weren't using anymore, the desks and the chairs and the statues of the little Tweety Birds, $16,000. You could put it in your, in your backyard, a big statue of a, of a Twitter bird. And they got rid of all those people at Twitter, and Twitter still functions. So the question is, what did those people actually do? When those people go look for a job, and like, yeah, so you worked at Twitter and you did this, this, and this, but you know, Twitter survived without you, so what did you really do there? Maybe that's gonna be the case at Microsoft and at Google and at Amazon. We'll find out. But it is not the sign of a growing and thriving economy, now is it? No. No, it is not. And it is not the sign that we're in a good place in our society when the Supreme Court announces, you know, we we looked for the person who leaked the documents about uh, Roe v. Wade, about the Dobbs decision, I should say. Uh, Yeah, we looked, we searched high and low, and 
we can't uh, we can't definitively say. We're not not from a preponderance of the evidence. A preponderance of the evidence? Cornell Law Professor William Jacobson breaks it all down. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today. We searched and searched and searched and searched and searched, and we couldn't find the leaker. Sorry. And with that, the marshal of the Supreme Court looked at America and said, we don't care if you want to find the leaker, the leaker of the Dobbs decision, this Justice Samuel Alito decision that got leaked and led to threats and assassination attempts and all sorts of damage and violence against Supreme Court justices, a nonstop attack on the country we don't care that you may want to know who it is we checked we interviewed like 80 some odd people we don't know do we believe this do we believe this tony katz tony katz today good to be with you william jacobson joins us right now cornell law professor the mind behind legalinsurrection.com you teach the law you study the law you practice the law you see this out of the Supreme Court, the Dobbs decision leaks. They tell you they can't find the leaker. What is your take on this? Well, when they use that term, that does ju- kind of jump out at you. Preponderance of the evidence is like a legal standard. It tells me that they think they know who did it, but they just don't have enough to, you know, out the person. So that's what it's telling me. They, they have a pretty good idea who did it. They just don't have enough evidence that they're comfortable going public with it. So that jumped out at me. Very unusual to see that. Uh, And the other thing is this was so botched. I mean, they should have brought the FBI uh, in on day one. They should have brought them in very quickly. I mean, we know when the FBI wants to get evidence, they managed to get evidence. They, They could have done electronic things. I mean, there has to be some sort of trail here that the longer you wait, the colder it gets. And they didn't do that. And so uh, I, I think that that, you know, this was botched. Once they didn't find the person within a week or two, the likelihood they were going to find the person just dropped dramatically. So it was a completely botched investigation. So as you see it, botched because John Roberts, the chief justice, is incompetent in the administrative part of his task as chief justice, or botched because the last thing they wanted to do was out whoever did this because that would require some kind of punishment, and they didn't want to be in the position of actually carrying that out? Well, I, I, uh, maybe a combination of the two. I think that there was an administrative decision made early on to let the marshal of the Supreme Court who doesn't really have the sort of background and doesn't have the resources, forget background, doesn't have the resources to to conduct this sort of investigation, do it. So administratively, and I'm not sure why that was done, uh, it might be that the Supreme Court, you know, they're separate branches of government. The Supreme Court didn't want the executive branch essentially rifling through its files. So that might have been part of it. Maybe they thought it would be an easy thing to find out. So it was botched administratively. And, you know, I think that uh, in terms of punishment, I don't know. You know, I I don't think that would necessarily be the issue. I think it would have been important to the court long term to send a message that whether you're punished or not, whether you're disbarred or not, 
It may or may not have been a crime, whatever happened here, depending how they did it. Uh, so, but you, you will be found out. And that, so now we have the opposite messages. You get away with it. Talking to William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, the mind behind LegalInsurrection.com. Uh, you shared a tweet from uh, Jonathan Turley, uh, George Washington uh, University, one of your uh, contemporaries, who states um, it will likely revive concerns over whether the FBI should have been asked to take the lead on this investigation. The FBI should have been asked to take the lead on this investigation. And I, I think there will be plenty of people who will be like, yeah, but who trusts the FBI right now? Why didn't John Roberts ask for the FBI to investigate? Well, I, I don't, we don't know what went on behind the scenes. We only know what's, what's public. And what's public is that it was handled by the marshal. What the marshal did, we don't know. But we know, I mean, there, does anybody doubt that the FBI, had they you know, put a full team on this, have they done a full port? Uh, court press that they they wouldn't have found the person. I mean, they find people who, you know, uh, have done other things that very far removed from the scene, electronic communications. They're good at breaking those sort of things. Uh, So, I mean, I just find it hard to believe that if on day one, uh, John Roberts had brought in, you know, the FBI uh, with a full court press, no pun intended, to, to find this person, I got to believe the FBI would have found the person. It's a limited circle of people who would have had physical access to the document. And, you know, we're not talking about a potential pool of 10,000 people who could have gotten it. I think we're talking about less than 200. Uh, So I, I find it very hard to believe that the FBI couldn't have put, you know, put it together. Now let's take uh, something else Turley said. The Supreme Court's report indicates that they cannot isolate the culprit among the over 80 possible suspects for the Dobbs leak. It is an admission that is almost as chilling as the leak itself. As a lawyer, uh, you you speak to other lawyers uh, just as you are in the legal profession. How bothered are you personally by them not finding uh, the leaker or giving up on even trying? Well, I think it's it's extremely troubling. I mean, you know, uh, whatever problems the judiciary has, and they have problems like the rest of society, you know, the kind of the sanctity of chambers is something that's respected, you know, and the fact that the chambers, meaning the judges, what goes on behind the scenes, now have to wonder when they give a message from one justice to another, is that going to leak? When they circulate drafts, because, you know, the whole process, it turned out that the draft that was leaked ended up being very close to the one that was published. But that's not always the case. A lot of times, early drafts change dramatically, including who's voting for, who's voting against. And so I think this is so disruptive of the whole process that you'd like to think that judges can communicate with each other and hash things out and talk through cases, particularly at the Supreme Court level, where everything they take affects a big part of society. It's not just like two individuals who get affected. You'd like to think they could go through that deliberative process without having to worry that everything you say can and will be used against you later on. Uh, So I think it's extremely, extremely troubling. You know, the only people who I think are in favor of it are people who are completely politically driven, who uh, were in favor of the protests or glad because of the result that got outed early. So there are some real, you know, uh, legal hacks out there who, you know, are celebrating this leak, but that's purely politically 
driven. And, you know, I, I think, you know, among conservative lawyers, had it been the reverse, I don't think anybody would have been happy if the decision had gone the other way that a draft got leaked. So this is really, to me, a liberal left wing issue that there's some portion of those people, not all of them, some portion who view the, you know, the end as justifying any means. A leak that also led to the attempted assassination of Justice Brett Kavanaugh, never mind uh, a lot of uh, fear and and, uh, threatening of other justices. Uh, The view of the court going forward, I often discuss on the show, argue on the show that faith in institutions is lost, and I am at a loss as to how that returns. The John Roberts court, how much faith is lost in their ability to not be political when John Roberts goes out of his way to tell us how much he doesn't want to be political? Does this not finding the leak, the leak itself, affect uh, people's view of the court going forward? Well, you have to understand, ever since there was a conservative majority on the court, there has been a war on the court by many Democrats and particularly Democrat politicians like Sheldon Whitehouse. Okay, relentless, endless attempts to delegitimize the court. So this advances their cause. If you want to engage in conspiracy theories, who benefited by this? The people who benefit, certainly not people who are interested in the substantive issue because it was going to come out the way it came out no matter what. But the people who benefit are the Sheldon Whitehouses of the world whose political goal is to delegitimize the Supreme Court, to delegitimize it because it's the one institution in government that is has a majority conservative bent to it. The rest of government is either completely split or left-leaning. Majority of institutions in the U.S. now are left-leaning. And the one that isn't is the Supreme Court. So this is being celebrated by people like Sheldon Whitehouse who want to take the one conservative institution left and delegitimize it. And I think that's a real problem, and I think they've been successful so far. They've been, I mean, long before, you know, uh, this decision overturning Roe v. Wade, Sheldon Whitehouse was attacking people. Look what they did to Brett Kavanaugh. Look what they've done to almost every Republican nominee to the court. So this is a war on the Supreme Court, and unfortunately the Sheldon Whitehouses of the world are winning. I thought that was a horrific and extremely important observation from William Jacobson, Cornell Law Professor, LegalInsurrection.com, and I appreciate him taking the time to be with us. It's an extremely important and horrific understanding of the situation of of how much things are political especially the things that shouldn't be political there should be no politicizing the leak was wrong and we need to find who did it and they need to be punished for it the idea that that in and of itself is something that's questionable is frightening it's a frightening frightening idea and concept But it is because the plan, of course, is to say, well, we don't like you. So therefore, the thing has to change. This is where you get the idea of court packing. There's nothing in the Supreme Court or I should say nothing in the Constitution that states the Supreme Court needs to be nine members. It could be two members. It could be 23 members. That is completely and totally the the purview of, of, well, how many people does the president want to appoint? And if, the, if uh, the Senate will confirm, on the court they go, and on the court they go, and on the court they go. And that's the concept of court packing. 
But then there's the idea of saying decisions that we don't agree with means that the court is political. You, you know this is true because you've heard this expression numerous times. You will hear the talking heads ask the following question. So what will the conservatives on the court do? What do you mean what the conservatives on the court will do? How come nobody ever asks what the liberals on the court will do? Well, you don't have to ask because you know exactly what they're going to do. We've discussed it numerous times. Sonia Sotomayor does not adjudicate. She votes. Every now and then, she'll throw you a curveball where she'll be like, no, 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 this. And you'll be like, wow, you actually looked. All other times, she is voting. She is not adjudicating. Liberals on the court don't adjudicate. They vote. I have not seen anything out of Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson that shows me she is going to adjudicate. She will ideologically vote. They are fully aware of what it is they're there to do. And the press then doesn't pay any attention to that and says, how will the conservative court vote? Meaning, and how they translate it is, will they do the right thing or will they be conservatives? You can actually kind of see them kind of stroking their beard like it's one of those 1970s films uh, about uh, karate or kung fu and the and and the dojo master is going to whip it right across his shoulder like in a scene from a Quentin Tarantino film. Will the conservatives vote or will the conservatives do the right thing? <laughs> you, you can picture it. That's the way they play it. Always. So they have always engaged a phraseology about a political court with Sheldon Whitehouse, who is an awful guy. Oh, goodness gracious. If you don't know Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, you're, you're doing good. You know what? I keep, keep not knowing. That's all I can do for you. You know, knowledge is power. In this case, knowledge will make you weep. Don't know. It's a solid point that, that William Jacobson is making. And it's very dangerous that we make the court political. Damning and dangerous in every single way. And right now, I don't see the end in sight. That's a bigger problem. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. told this story to my wife and I got the first five words out and her jaw hit the floor because, well, maybe it's because we have a a food business background. You guys know I used to own a restaurant. I used to run restaurants and there are things that I guess that we pay attention to that maybe maybe other people don't. And in your home, there are things you may be paying attention to that we have no idea about. People have their interests and, and that's the way it goes and that makes it pretty cool. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today, it's good to be with you. Culver's Restaurant switched to Coca-Cola products. All I had to say, I didn't even get the products. That's the headline. And she was like, no. Who got fired from Pepsi? Culver's. 900 locations. 72 of them in my beloved Indiana. 900 locations making the switch now they're keeping their root beer and 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 a couple other things but they lost pepsi they're moving to coke 
it, it, it is hard to describe the levels of territorial these people are over soda. It's, it, it, it's near impossible to explain exactly how intense the battles are, how strong the fiefdoms are. Allow me to say, though, the battles are intense and the fiefdoms are real. Oh, and there are Coke people who won't allow you to say the word Pepsi in their presence and vice versa. Absolutely, Pepsi people, you're not allowed to say the word Coke. You're not allowed to have a Coke product. Don't even think about it. Those are fighting words. Can you imagine the money in 900 Culver's restaurants for Coke and Coke products? Are you kidding People got fired. People are going to lose jobs over a Coca-Cola. Somebody's getting a promotion because these changes aren't small. It's not like you flip a switch. There, There's entire machines. There's plumbing. There's logistics. Everything. And there's also the connection to the branding itself. What does it say about you? I, I, I'm telling you, this is a bigger story than anybody's making it. Also, I, I did Culver's. I, I like custard. I like uh, gelato, custard. No, maybe custard. Custard, gelato, ice cream. And then whatever the hell ice milk is, then frozen yogurt. That's that's how it goes. That's the, that's the official TK rankings right there of your frozen dessert treats. Well, unless you count, like, the strawberry shortcake you'd get from the ice cream truck. That would go on top. All right, I'm going to need more time for this. Find everything, TonyCats.locals.com. This is Tony Katz today.